Well, babe, we did it. We wrote a book. Yeah, man, it's it's actually surreal to even think about uh, that we wrote a book, had a baby, got married, not necessarily in that order. <laughs> <laughs> but the book is now available yeah. for pre-order and we're so excited to share it with you. Oh, so looking forward to getting this book into your hands, to be in dialogue and conversation with all of you as we continue to liberate love from old imprints and codependent dynamics that keep us small, stuck, and stagnant. Yeah, you know, no matter your relationship status, this book walks you through what shaped you, why do you do what you do in relationship. It dives deep into your relationship blueprint, attachment styles, and most importantly, which is different than every other book that's ever covered codependency in the past, we explore the role of the nervous system in that. And the book is called Liberated Love. Yeah. Release your codependent patterns and create the love you desire. Go to createthelove.com slash liberated love to order your copy now. That's createthelove.com slash liberated love and get that pre-order in and you'll be able to get a free download of a meditation we created and a workbook that goes along with it. Much love and appreciation for your support. Much love. Thank you. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian Pigeon Mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wayne, Brady PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. You know, when people are out there slinging around these labels that you're an anti-vaxxer, I say, anti-vaxxer? I'm a pincushion. took 69 <laughs> of these shots. I mean, come on, this is enough's enough. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm reviewing the literature with you. And I'm vaccine risk aware. I am aware that there are now risks with these shots. And boy, the COVID vaccines brought this to light. Hi, my name is Mark Groves, and I'm obsessed with understanding human behavior and why we do what we do. In this podcast, I interview the world's most brilliant minds and hearts, where I get to explore alongside you every subject you can imagine relating to our human experience and how we relate. It is my deepest intention that we all learn how to create the life and love that we've always dreamt of. Now, before we get rolling, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. And one ask that I have, and an amazing way that you can help support the podcast is by wherever you listen to it, giving it a five-star review and a written review. With all that said, let's dive in and transform our lives. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. So I wanted to record an intro for this one because I'll often receive feedback and, and, some, and questions and sometimes criticism about why I have opposing views on the podcast about things like the pandemic response, the psychological use of language and influence and nudge tactics, and also opposing views about the vaccination that are critical of it. And the reason is, is because you're not going to get that on mainstream media. If I wanted to put another person on who will say, the thing is safe and effective and everyone should get another booster, another booster, another booster. To me, that's actually not helpful information. I will never trust someone who is not capable of criticizing the thing they're promoting. 
And that is what I've seen for the most part, especially in Canadian media, that there is just this blind willingness and loyalty to just promote this thing without any criticism of it. And look, when I was a rep, that was just normal that products had a lot of key opinion leaders. That's what they called the specialists who sort of spoke about the products or in the disease area. They had a lot of key opinion leaders that disagreed on a lot of things. And you'd have, you know, some that were paid for by pharma and they would promote their products. And you had others who were more academic who spoke out really. They were often, not always, but often more critical of the products. And so the way that I've explored these topics has never changed. The questioning curiosity I have about relational structures, educational structures, the way we look at birth, the way we look at food, it's the same way I orient to this subject. But this subject seems to have a really interesting trigger that is if you criticize it, you are seen as an anti-vaxxer, as a tinfoil hat, right-wing conspiracy theorist. I mean, all of those things couldn't be further from the truth about me, but I get what they are. They're shortcuts to be able to just put someone in a box and dismiss their opinion because we may not like the opinion we're hearing. It might be in contrast to the decisions we've made. It might be in contrast to the beliefs that we hold. And so to me, this is important to have these conversations. So I'm always going to orient towards the world from a place of wanting to explore the opposition of a long-held subject, a status quo, and also in the culture that we've lived in where we're not allowed to question something and to question it is to seen as rejecting it. I do not subscribe to that at all. So I'm going to keep living out loud and I'm going to keep having these conversations. And I invite you to do the same because that's, you know, that's how we're going to create better relationships, better families, better cultures that can hold these other views and be like, oh, wow. And, you know, if you look now, what's coming out in the media is about, I mean, the deception that has actually occurred during the pandemic. Like if you look beyond CTV, Global, CBC, you'll see that there has been some real misleading that has happened, you know? And so anyways, I'm so excited because today's guest has been speaking out from the beginning because he never changed how he oriented to science. He's an academic, he's also a clinician, and his name is Dr. Peter McCullough. So without further ado. Welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. Today, I am joined by the renowned Dr. Peter McCullough. Welcome. Great to be on the podcast. I can't believe I finally made it on your show. <laughs> Honestly, man, I've been waiting for this moment because since the beginning of the conversations about COVID, I've been following your work. And I used to be a pharmaceutical rep actually for 14 years. I left that about nine years ago. And for me, it's been just such a, when I think about who should I listen to, I don't think all the people who are going to get promoted and put on media, I think who's willing to risk it all because they're willing to tell the truth. And that matters to me. That's integrity. So thank you for what you do. Welcome to the show. It is such an honor. Thank you. I bet as a pharmaceutical representative, you have seen things you never thought you'd ever see in your career because you guys are so tight on pharmacovigilance, FDA regulations, pharmaceutical regulations. And man, you must have seen this whole world get blown apart in the last three years. Well, you know, one of the biggest shockers to me very early on was that I knew that you weren't allowed to talk about something unless it had an indication for that. And it was illegal. And yet I saw public health, I saw politicians, I saw media saying, 
this thing stops transmission. And I was like, wait, you can't say that. Where's the study? Like, maybe you might be able to make that claim based on some study you could show me. But for you, I'm curious, first off, just before we really dive in, if you can give people a background on your work and what makes you qualified to talk about this. Sure. Well, I'm a lot like you. I work very closely with uh, Big Pharma. I'm a practicing internist and cardiologist. I'm trained in epidemiology. I'm in clinical practice in Dallas, Texas. I'm a clinical scholar, so I spend part of my time in practice, the other part in independent research, scholarly activities. The last three years, I've become a, a media commentator for most of the big stations, ABC, Fox News, Newsmax, Real America's Voice, One America News, on and on and on. And I've testified three times in the U.S. Senate on request, including co-moderating the two big sessions on COVID vaccines. I have testified now in over half a dozen state senates, highly sought after for my opinions. You know, if you were to look on Google, you would find 15 million hits on me on Google. And what I've challenged anybody is to find where I've been incorrect on a statement on the pandemic or where I've been inconsistent. Do you know almost all these public figures have racked up highlight reels of incredibly regretful statements. Have you seen some of these? I have, where you're just like these, even the newscasters too, where you're like, wow, these marketing lines that were just traps. It's true. Uh, You know, on the vaccines, and you know this from your pharmaceutical background, the consent form really matters. And how the consent form works with the vaccines is it refers you to an FAQ, a frequently asked questions document. And you know, in the FAQ document, I checked this out recently, Do you know what the one benefit that's listed, the only claim that's made regarding the vaccines is? Do you have any idea? Yeah, what is it? Reduction of serious disease, maybe? No, it says COVID-19s have been, past tense, shown to reduce the incidence of COVID-19. That's it. No claim on reducing severity. Remember, no randomized trial has ever shown reductions in hospitalizations and deaths. No valid non-randomized study has shown that either. And remember, no study has ever demonstrated reductions in transmission. And it's important that it's past tense because it may have been true that there was some marginal efficacy with the very early strains. But, you know, once the virus quickly mutated, the virus outsmarted the vaccines very quickly and they had no impact on risk of COVID, on transmission. And they definitely didn't reduce severity out of the gate. And we knew this. And now there are emails that have come out from Rochelle Lewinsky uh, through Freedom of Information where the CDC was emailing each other and officers and she was emailing Tony Fauci saying, listen, people are getting sick as stink after they've taken the vaccine with COVID-19. The vaccines are failing. They knew that in January of 2021. Well, I'm from Canada too. So living in Canada, what was really shocking, I wanted to actually ask your opinion on this, is in September of 2021 is when all our vaccine passports came out, but we also had a flight mandate. You weren't allowed to catch a plane, a train, or a bus unless you were vaccinated. And I'm sitting there going, okay, am I in crazy town? Because if that was even a thing that we wanted to keep people with COVID-19 off a plane, wouldn't it be smart to test everybody? You know, like if that's actually what we're going to do, and I'm sure the tests are a whole other subject, but like, To me, the mandates made no logical sense, not to mention that they were also a violation of our liberties. But when you were watching Canada, were you like, what the hell is going up? I'm sure your hands were busy with the States, but, you know. No, we were watching it. My wife's Canadian, so her parents were in Canada at the time, so we were sweating this out. 
about could they fly, could we fly. This happened in Australia and other countries. Do you know the one thing that would have made the planes safer? And let me tell you, it wasn't a mask or a vaccine. Neither one of those worked. But you know what would have worked? Iodine nasal spray. So if we actually would have used iodine nasal spray and gargles, if everybody would have done an iodine nasal spray and gargle, and there's great brands now, Betadine, Cofix RX, xylitol-based products like Clear can be supercharged with iodine, uh, colloidal silver works. Do you know if everybody just would have done that preventively before they get on the plane and get off the plane, that would have reduced the risk. There are 12 randomized trials showing that they work, three large ones with hard outcomes. They're preventive and they're also uh, helpful in acute treatment. That made sense because the virus actually lands in the nose. It lands in the hair cells in the nose. And then the virus, you know, works its way into the mucosa. If you just spray up some iodine, you kill enough viral particles to where the body's immune system can fend off the rest of these. So, you know, when Republican Congresswoman Nancy Mace found out about this, she was on Epoch Times. She was going nuts. She goes, why is our government not telling us about these simple nasal sprays and gargles? They could have been a game changer. And, you know, the first time I had COVID in 2020, I didn't know about this. And, you know, it's in my nose for four or five days. Then it went, invaded my lungs. And boy, did I pay the price. And I got to tell you, knowing this now, I will never travel without an iodine nasal spray. The best thing people listening to this podcast can do is go out, get a good iodine-based nasal spray. You can make your own with a few drops of iodine and a spray bottle of water. And then have that and have a gargle. Scoper Listerine works fine. Put a few drops of iodine in it. 30-second gargles. I'm, I'm telling you, when I get a cold nowadays... I get on it right away. You know, prior to learning this, I used to get a sore throat for two or three or four days. Then I would get nasal congestion. So it would be a week being sick and contagious. And then it would be another week to recover with all the snot and coughing and stuff. Now I get a cold. I jump on it within the first hour of feeling viral and the cold is less than a day. It is so effective. This is the most important thing I've learned virucidal nasal sprays and washes. We added it to the McCullough protocol, the most widely used protocol in the world now in December of 2020. Key, key update. Yeah, I used it when I got COVID in December of 2021. A friend of mine who's a functional med doc, she gave me her protocol. I'm curious, like when you think of your life as a physician and a researcher pre-COVID, and then you think now post, like why do you think and did you ever imagine that the media and pharma and politicians would make it so only one side? Because my experience is really only one side of a story has ever been told. And there's been censorship of like side effects, you know, any other drug, the media will pick up, oh, they're like the new, I think the diabetes one that's having stomach paralysis issues. That one now, media has got no problem criticizing it. But we're not talking, the media still does not really talk about the side effects of the COVID vaccine. There's something about what's called vaccine ideology. This has probably been going on 150 years. Do you know there's no public criticism of any vaccine? Vaccine safety is never discussed at Grand Rounds. It's never fairly presented to parents, ever. This probably goes back to Edward Jenner or Louis Pasteur. Vaccine ideology means that there's a belief that the human body is frail and we're susceptible and that we need vaccines to live a healthy life. And in order for vaccines to work, everybody must take them. It is, it's an ideology. And the same ideology, by the way, is in veterinary medicine. The same belief, our dogs and cats are frail. 
They need these shots. And you can say, wait a minute, I see squirrels outside. They don't take shots and rabbits. They don't take shots. And all these deer, I mean, why does my dog need to take all these shots? So there's something about an ideology, you know, and I've, I've talked to um, naturopathic veterinarians and they say with modern farming techniques and the cleanliness that we have, the, the cattle and the swine, they don't need vaccines. You know, there are naturopathic doctors that say that human beings don't need vaccines. It's very interesting. There's now papers by Hooker, Miller, and Thomas, all showing that going natural, that is taking no vaccines from birth, healthier outcomes, lower rates of asthma, pharyngitis, need for tympanostomy tubes, allergic atopic dermatitis, allergic rhinitis, and lower rates of neuropsychiatric illness, including uh, attention deficit disorder, Asperger's, autism spectrum disorder. You know, going natural may, makes sense. If you go natural, you're less likely to perturb the immune system. Well, as a physician, when you look at the last, you know, 50 years and they go, all right, well, we're, we've got medicine and medicine's going to save us and it's going to extend life. But we are sicker than we've ever been, are we not? Like, we're more unfit. We have more autoimmune. We have, I mean, the rates of Asperger's are incredibly high. And it all seems to kind of occur between the 80s and 90s. I think as a cardiologist, like, you know, you witness the conversations about statins and cholesterol and sh fat's bad. So yeah, like as you've watched this all unfold, like have we just hit like a massive point where it's where it's just all coming to a head that people are catching on that we're sick and that what they're telling us isn't serving us all the time? You know, in some areas it's true. At the turn of the century, the median lifespan was about 42 years old, about 1900. And there was uh, deaths during childbirth. And clearly there were infections that, you know, not treated would be fatal hypertension, hypertensive crisis, heart failure, no treatment would be fatal. And then uh, there were advances. And in, in a famous book that was written by a British epidemiologist named Marmot, and the name of the book is Why Are Some People Healthy and Other People Are Not? Marmot concludes that it's socioeconomic status, that it's really cleanliness of the water supply, you know, a clean environment, a roof over your head. Is the water supply, for instance, improved? And we had water treatment centers and handed wastewater Polio came down. Polio came down in terms of its incidence and severity and its burden in society long before the polio vaccine. Every single disease, smallpox, measles, mumps, all of these actually went down just with better living conditions long before the vaccine. So the vaccines were, I think, falsely ascribed to be the answer. And while some vaccines came in and clearly made an impact, let me give you an example. I think the rubella or German measles vaccine came in. I was about five years old when it came along. We had 20,000 cases of congenital rubella per year prior to the vaccine. And we're down to like two cases a year. So it really did work. Now, the catch is, though, only the women who are pregnant are at risk for congenital rubella syndrome. You and I can't have it, right? So why were we vaccinating little boys? So it was always overkill on all these vaccines. So every vaccine, you can look at it and say, why in the world are we doing this? The water supplies cleaned up, but why do we need to do a polio vaccine? Measles is essentially a benign illness, in, you know, maybe only in somebody you know, who's, who's very frail or at risk. I think of a child who could really get in trouble without vaccines. It'd be a child with cystic fibrosis or a congenital diaphragmatic hernia, 
or severe congenital heart disease with right-sided heart failure. It was called Eisenmenger syndrome. These kids could probably really get sick with any one of these diseases. But a healthy child born today, as these studies that I've cited, they're better off without the vaccines. And you can go through each one and realize it's kind of overkill. Let's start with the first one, hepatitis B. Now, the only indication for hepatitis B is a mother who's actively IV drug abusing or has active hepatitis B because we want to prevent vertical transmission of the virus. That doesn't mean give the shot to every normal baby born in America. I mean, that's the biggest overkill of all time. Now, now later on, if the person's like me or you and they want to go into healthcare and going to be around blood or body fluids, get a hepatitis B vaccine. You know, that's that's perfectly fine. And you can go through each one, diphtheria and tetanus and pertussis. They're all easily treated with antibiotics now. So they're kind of antiquated. The water supply has been cleared up for polio. Haemophilus influenza B, again, only if there's lung disease. I think there was only 77 serotypable cases in the CDC recent network study. I mean, it's just so, it just, it doesn't matter. Three quarters of them took the vaccine anyway. So measles outbreaks, a decent percentage is fully vaccinated. Pertussis outbreaks, the same thing. And I got to tell you, this chickenpox, chickenpox vaccine, I don't know if you watched the Robert F. Kennedy town hall meeting. Did you see that? Yeah, this was really good. So Robert F. Kennedy, who's the son of Bobby Kennedy, our former attorney general, the nephew of John F. Kennedy, former president. So he's running on the Democratic side against President Biden for president of the United States. And uh, he knows the vaccine data pretty well. So he's being hit by this very hostile moderator in this town hall meeting for, quote, being an anti-vaxxer. Now, it turns out Kennedy's taking loads of vaccines himself, probably like you and me. So we're not anti-vaxxers. How can we? We took all these shots. We're basically vaccine risk aware. We're we're talking about the safety data. So we're not anti-vaxxers. We're vaccine risk aware. So anyhow, as being vaccine risk aware, Kennedy knows the data. He's challenged by a doctor, Dr. Butt. So Dr. Butt gets up and says, Mr. Kennedy, your views have been responsible for costing millions of lives worldwide. So he makes this hyperbolic statement. How can we get you on our side? Vaccines have saved the world, including the chicken pox vaccine. And Kennedy goes, okay, well, let's take that one. It's true. Chicken pox vaccine has clearly dropped rates of chicken pox in kids, which is essentially a benign rash. I had it myself. My brothers had it. Okay. But... And Kennedy's right, and I fact-checked him on I looked up the papers, chickenpox has resulted in a much higher risk of shingles in adulthood. So what a disaster. So you know what? I'd rather have chickenpox as a kid than end up with shingles as an adult. Have you seen Diane Feinstein? Diane Feinstein, Senator Feinstein, have you seen her? She has shingles, meningoencephalitis. That means the worst kind of shingles. It's invaded the brain and the meninges, the covering over the brain, and also zapped the seventh nerve on the right side, and she has Ramsey-Hunt syndrome. Let me tell you what, that is a disaster. You don't want shingles. And to take all these chickenpox vaccines as kids, setting up the adults for shingles is a complete mess. Now, there's a shingles vaccine, but it doesn't work very well, and you have to take multiple shots. The shingles vaccine, by the way, is 14 times the dose of the live attenuated viral dose of the chickenpox vaccine. I've had the shingles vaccine myself. It's a rough vaccine. I would not take it again.
When you look at that correlation, like what's the correlation between a childhood chickenpox vaccine and having more susceptibility to things like shingles? I think it's a multifold increased risk. It's always, you know, expressed in relative risk, but it's real. There's multiple papers supporting it. Kennedy knew the data. Dr. Butt didn't. Oh my gosh. You know, you could just see this guy sat down humiliated. And I think what a lot of people are learning is don't get up there and assume these vaccines are safe or effective. Everything needs to be reevaluated. Let's be fair about it. I think, uh, you know, when I was a kid, there was a total of uh, five shots early on. I think in the, by one year, the total number, I believe, was six or seven shots. And there's a recent paper out in my Substack, stack, uh, Miller's first author, showing that the kids nowadays in the neonatal period and by year one, they're somewhere on the order of 25 shots, something like this. And the more shots they take, according to this analysis by Miller, higher mortality, higher mortality at one year and higher mortality at year five. This episode was brought to you by The Wellness Company. Now, you guys know I'm all about standing in the truth of what matters to me. And when it comes to my health and my family's health, I am very careful who I take advice from. Trust and transparency are so important to me, especially now that I'm a new dad. Now, The Wellness Company was formed by a team of doctors who lost their jobs and they were subsequently canceled, censored, for speaking up and pushing back against the mismanagement of the pandemic. As a native Canadian and former pharmaceutical rep, I am all too familiar with the failings of the current system, and it is pretty clear that we need some sort of massive change. Now, not only does the wellness company offer live telemedicine services, but they also have a wide range of high-quality doctor-formulated supplements that are designed to, one, degrade the spike protein and protect you from shedding, boost your immune system, support your heart health, help you sleep better, and there's so many more. They recently just launched the Spike Support Formula. Now, it's the only product I've seen that contains a unique combination of natural ingredients, including natokinase and dandelion root extract. Natokinase has been shown to help break down and eliminate the spike protein, and dandelion root blocks it from binding to your cells. To support those experiencing side effects from the shots and to help those suffering from long COVID and to protect you from shedding, the Spike Support is one supplement that everyone can benefit from in this post-pandemic world. The truth is that we all need to be taking steps to protect ourselves from that toxic spike protein. Get yourself the wellness company's spike support formula now. You can go to twc.health/groves and use the code groves at checkout to save 15% off. So that's twc.health/groves to save 15%. If you haven't heard me talk about cozier sheets before, let me tell you, I'm about to introduce you to the greatest sheets you will ever have touch your body. Anytime someone comes to our house and stays in our guest room, they always want to know what is the bed situation? What are the sheets that we have? Their sheets, their comforters, their duvets, everything is magic. Their bedding is naturally breathable. It's temperature regulating. It's so damn soft. It's ethically sourced viscose from bamboo. It's incredible. And the brand was featured on Oprah's favorite things, but before that it was featured on Mark's favorite things. Like, I discovered this brand years ago before I ever even chatted with them about being a sponsor for the podcast. And because I love their product so much, I asked for an exclusive offer for you and you get 40% off site-wide. And now they have pajamas. They have like loungewear. So not only do you get to wrap yourself in the experience of the sheets as clothing, but you then get to get into the bed in that. So you're like double wrapped. And so all you got to do to save 40% off site-wide is use the code GROVES at checkout. So just my last name, G-R-O-V-E-S. So go to CozyEarth.com 
C-O-Z-Y-E-A-R-T-H.com and use the code Groves and you get 40% off all their products. What do you think the mechanism of action is that causes the correlation to like more allergies, rhinitis? You were talking about all the things that it looks like these children versus unvaxxed children have later in life. It's probably immune system dysregulation. The immune system needs to adapt to natural pathogens. We can't keep juicing the system with all of these shots with either derived antigens or you know live attenuated organisms. And not only that, but remember, most of the organisms come in through the, the nasopharynx. They don't come in through the deltoid. So we're getting a very unnatural form of exposure. Maybe very different if we had nasal mist vaccines for everything. But I think the most worrisome development is when I was a kid, again, I, I want to say like five shots. When I was a kid, the rate of autism was one in 10,000. Now today, it's one in 36. I mean, this is the biggest epidemic in childhood. Autism can destroy families, destroy these poor kids. I see it at my office now every day. And you know, there's 200 papers linking immune system dysregulation to the pathogenesis of autism. 200. So it turns out that inflammation involves multiple protein factors called cytokines, and they easily go in the brain and they can actually change brain formation. And it is neuropsychiatric. It's not just psychiatric or psychological. It's not because the kids are you know, working on iPads or something. Autism, autism spectrum disorder, Asperger's, they have hyperacusis. They actually, you know, they have acute hearing. There's a whole literature about hyper-vaccination. They're getting, you know, six vaccines at once, causing a reactogenic syndrome, a febrile seizure. And then after the febrile seizure, that's basically a, an inflection point. And after that, the mother notices the, the characteristic features of autism set in. It's well described in the literature now. Paper by Nielsen and colleagues from Europe is, you know, pointing to febrile seizures, for instance, that is clearly related to neuropsychiatric disorders. If a child has a febrile seizure at an early age, let's say ages, you know, one to eight, it is strongly related to the development of attention deficit disorder, Asperger's disease, autism spectrum disorder, and a few other motor and cognitive disorders. They're called the essence grouping. So I want mothers to understand this, that there is this linkage now. There's about 200 papers on immune modulation and the pathogenesis of autism. There are 800 papers overall suggesting that hyper-vaccination may be the cause. It may be linked to aluminum in some vaccines or mercury in some other vaccines, but not entirely. I think it's probably the grouping of these vaccines. Many have said, listen, just space it out. Or or not all the kids need to receive all the shots. Make it more risk-based depending on each person's medical profile. But right now, the number of shots keep going up and up. Prior to COVID, prior to COVID, by age 18, a kid would have taken 72 shots. Now, you know that number now is about 106, I believe. 106 shots with COVID shots. 106. So you know what I did? I'm 60. I'm a doctor and you know, grew up in a regular family. I counted up the number of shots I took in the course of my life. Guess how many I took? I don't know. Maybe 12? 69. Oh, jeez. Yeah, 69. Now, 40 of them were flu shots because I'm a medical staff. I have to take a flu shot. I figured, okay, I take a flu shot. But 69, you know, because the polio vaccine didn't work, I came in and took more shots. My MMR, when the antibodies were checked when I went to medical school, didn't work, so I got more shots. 
I traveled to India. I got more shots. It just kept going and going and going. So, you know, when people are out there slinging around these labels that you're an anti-vaxxer, I say, anti-vaxxer? I'm a pincushion. I took 69 <laughs> of these shots. I mean, come on. This is enough's enough. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I'm reviewing the literature with you, and I'm vaccine risk aware. I am aware that there are now risks with these shots, and boy, the COVID vaccines brought this to light. Yeah, it brought it to life for me too. I actually never questioned childhood vaccines. I took the flu vaccine once, but I got the flu that week. I was like, this sucks. But I never questioned it. And we just had a son. And so I wanted to dive deep into the, I would have dove deep for my son, but it made me dive deep as soon as the COVID stuff happened. Cause I'm like, wait, if they're pulling all these tricks and not being fully honest about the COVID vaccine, where else have they done this? Having been a pharma rep, I knew it existed because I was in the industry. But I'm curious when you look at the COVID vaccine now, do you recommend it for anybody? Like, is there a group that it is beneficial for? No, there's not. I was neutral on them till about March of 2021. So I was neutral for about 90 days. But the mortalities came in uh, we started to see just horrific outcomes. So I testified in the Texas Senate in March of 2021. I told the Texas Senate HH committee, I said, it's not looking good. It's not looking good. And uh, my messaging picked up over the course of 2021 and, and through 2022. Now, on December 7th, 2022, I co-moderated the big session on vaccines for the U.S. Senate. And I closed out the session by concluding, after we deliberated on all the data, all the COVID vaccines are not safe for human use. They should be removed from the market. I've been supported by Andrew Brigden in the UK Parliament, Rob Bruce and Chris, uh, Christina Anderson in the EU Parliament, Malcolm Roberts and Gerard Rennick in the Upper House of Parliament in Australia. I'm supported by the World Council for Health International Organization out of Bath, the UK. They issued a pharmacovigilance report June 11th, 2022, said pull them off the market. They're not safe. So now, when you make the call to pull them off the market, that means they're not safe for anybody. Why do you think that, like, you're clearly, I mean, you've you got 15 million hits on Google. You've got, I forget how many published papers, but I think 70 on COVID and like over 700 yourself, right? Something like that. You clearly are someone who explores evidence-based, I mean, you live the evidence-based medicine world. Why do you think there's such a distance between you and other people who have risked their careers to speak out and the sort of talking heads on media and the physicians who are really kind of diametrically, they're living in a, it feels like they're living in a totally different world. And I used to think, am I living in a different world? But I realized I'm like, but I'm reading all this stuff. It makes no sense to me. It's true. I think the big difference is who took the shots. I don't know a single person who did not take a COVID shot but thinks it's a good idea that everybody else take a shot today. Yeah, that's true. Right? No. If you didn't take a shot, you're looking at saying this isn't looking good. I think when people take the shots, the most common thing they say when you want to talk about it is, I don't want to talk about it. They actually give you the Heisman, both hands. <laughs> and they really, I think it's a psychological state of, of fear. They're, they're seeing these horrendous outcomes you know, we're giving the message, these are not broken down by human ribonucleases or proteases. Uh, this is not looking good at all. We're seeing people two years later have problems after the shots. People are starting to panic. Uh, they're starting to wake up. I had a kid in my office this week. He's, I think, a sophomore in college. Flew in to see me. Really smart kid. 
and he's taken the shot. He's had some cardiac problems. He looked me in the eyes deadpan and said, Dr. McCullough, am I going to have a cardiac arrest like the rest of these kids? I mean, that is a tough question as a doctor. Can you imagine the terror, whether someone's being honest with themselves or whether it's subconscious? Can you imagine the subconscious sheer terror that's in people's minds when they see others with blood clots? Look at Deion Sanders took all these shots and he has amputations and blood clots. Bruce Arians coaches the Tampa Bay Bucks, takes all these shots, he has myocarditis. Al Roker, the weatherman, he's taking shots on TV and then he's in the hospital. He gets COVID anyway. He's in the hospital. Blood clots nearly dies. You know, Kirk Herbstreet gets COVID first, then takes shots, blood clots, all kinds of problems. Now his son is in the hospital. I think the most disturbing public figure case, I think by far, honestly, is Oscar Cabrera Adamas. Have you heard of his case, Adamas? Yeah, but share please with us about it. Adamas is a European player. And he has a cardiac arrest. I don't know if you've seen this cardiac arrest in these athletes, but he does a face plant. I mean, he just absolutely, he's out. Thank God they resuscitated him. They got him back. And he tweets out, he goes, I got myocarditis because I took the COVID vaccines. So this is very transparent. There's no secrecy here. He has a cardiac arrest. He says it's due to myocarditis because of the vaccines. Two years later, so he's out of play for two years. Two years later, he gets on a treadmill test and he's in a medical center, I think somewhere in Central or South America, and he's trying to come back and he dies on the treadmill. Now, I'm a cardiologist and I've done treadmills for decades. I've never had a patient die in front of me on a treadmill. I have to tell you, this is frightening that COVID-19 vaccine-induced myocarditis can cause recurrent cardiac arrest two years later. That Adamus case ought to be re- being discussed by every athletic team in the world right now. I mean, that is a lightning bolt to wake people up. Do you know that yeah, University of uh, Southern California, USC Trojans, they've actually had two cardiac arrests on their team in a year. The first one was Nick Uwachuku, who has a cardiac arrest. He's resuscitated. He actually gets a form of an ICD. I anticipate it's a subcuticular ICD. It doesn't have leads that go into the heart, but it's just, you know, sits below the pectoralis muscle so the kids can go back and play. The same type of ICD that pilot Bob Snow has. Remember, he took the vaccines and had a cardiac arrest on an American Airlines flight as it pulled up in DFW. I met Snow. He showed me his ICD. I bet the other kids have it too. So Nick comes back and he's on the USTC team. And guess who next is next one to go? Bronny James, the son of LeBron James, has probably a near miss. I don't think it was a full cardiac arrest because, uh, you know, he, he may have had a brief, maybe had sustained particular tachycardia and he self-terminated. But there's no report of shocking intubation. He's in, the, in and out of the ICU in a day and he's in a few hours and he's home in a day. That's not a full-blown cardiac arrest. But I'm telling you, USC should be thinking, why do we have young players who are checked out ahead of time? They have full EKGs, blood tests, echocardiograms. There's no reason why any high school, college, or pro player should be having cardiac arrest. We've got good safety standards, and yet we are seeing this on a daily basis. Do you think, like when I have talked about that, that there is clearly, like when I look at the, as a former athlete, I watch sports, I'm like, there is clearly an increase in cardiovascular events. And what I hear from people in response is, it's just being reported on more. The incidence is not more. And I'm like, no, I've never seen so many people faint on television. Like comedian, I remember on stage, 
making fun of vaccinated people, collapsed, news anchors. Like, again, it's more that gaslighting that makes us think we're crazy. But I'm like, you look at the data. Is there actually more people having cardiac arrest in sports? Yeah, we set out to answer that question. I'm co-author on a paper with Panagis Polycretis from Italy. And we used a publicly available blog database of, of someone keeping track of this. And the database requires four separate press reports, so there's a lot of internal validity. And we compared before COVID, in a stable period, European athletes, ages under 35, pro and semi, so there's a lot of teams. It turns out that there were cardiac arrests before COVID, numbers about 29 per year. Now, since 2021, the vaccines that were mandated for the players that number is 283 per year analyzed. So it's about a tenfold increase. The United States, you know, is keeping track. You should come on your show. John Stockton, former Utah Jazz guard, all-star. Yeah, he's very disturbed. He's keeping track. He, th- he says we're way over 1,000 now. High school athletes, college and pro is happening. Wow, I didn't know he was tracking that. Okay, I'm. when you look at that, because I think of in my DMs, I get people all the time who are like, I got it. I was coerced. And so when you look at like the people who got it because they wanted to travel, they wanted to watch their kids play sports, they wanted to, you know, play sports themselves. They wanted to keep their job. I mean, they wanted a free beer, a burger, fries, you know, all these different things. Two questions here. One, is that a violation of informed consent by doing by coercing through those methods? And two, what do they do? Because I get that question a lot and I'm not a doctor. I have no advice for that. But I'm like, what do you do? Like, Because I agree with you. You look back and you go, I see the people that I know who are incredibly intelligent, who are critical thinkers, who got the shot. And some of them can critically think and talk about it. But most of them, because of the possible dissonance of accepting what may, you can't uninject yourself. But what can you do? Let me tackle the first question. You know, of full informed consent, or some people use conscious informed consent, that means understand the risks and benefits, but make a choice to do something with no pressure, coercion, or threat of reprisal. That's a free choice. Every person who felt pressured into doing this, violations of their medical rights you know, occur. They were stripped of civil liberties. And my heart goes out to people who you know, were going to lose their job, lose their career. Some people lose their military career if they didn't take a shot. And people did lose their jobs, and they did suffer professional reprisal. They weren't hired back. And those were the most difficult. I think the avoidable things were people who took a shot because they wanted to travel. They took a shot for some other convenience purpose. And, and th- those people are likely to regret it. They said, gosh, I took a shot so I could go to Atlantis. And boy, do I regret it. Others said, listen, I didn't want to. I had to do it. And now you know, I'm suffering the consequences. So... You're right. Now, the question on the table is, what can we do about it? You know, we're three and a half years into this. I've tried everything for long COVID, for post-vaccine syndromes, and none of it's been rewarding. I mean, there are some specific syndromes that we have to do certain things. But for the general person who's taken two or three or four shots, had COVID a couple of times, it feels tired and muscle aches and ears ringing and hair falling out and weight loss you know, completely miserable. It is kind of a long COVID, long vaccine injury syndrome. And the pathophysiologic literature shows that it's accumulation of spike protein. It's the Wuhan spike protein, the spine on the surface of the virus. The vaccines install the genetic code to produce the spike protein and the genes don't turn off. The genetic material does not turn off. It produces it 
theoretically forever. So people are feeling sick for years now. And what we found is we, at least what we can do is dissolve the spike protein. Human enzymes can't dissolve it. It appears to be resistant to human proteases. And now three natural products in preclinical studies are helpful. One is natokinase. It clearly dissolves the spike protein. Natokinase is derived from the fermentation of soy. It's an enzyme. You take it orally. It is a modest blood thinner. The second one is bromelain. It's a family of enzymes derived from the stems of pineapple. Bromelain is actually used medicinally. It's an FDA-approved drug as a topical agent in burn management. And then the third is curcumin, which is derived from turmeric. That has randomized trial supporting use in these syndromes to reduce inflammatory factors, improve syndromes. So we actually attack the spike protein with natokinase, 2,000 units or 100 milligrams twice a day, bromelain, 500 milligrams once a day, and then curcumin, preferably a highly absorbable form of it, liposomal, 500 milligrams twice a day. It's called base spike detox. We've got a major paper coming out on this to support it. We've been doing it clinically now for months. It takes about three months for people to start feeling better. Are all of those products in the spike support product that the wellness company has? Yeah, a wellness company out of Canada has the leading natokinase it's called spike support, and it has some other minor ingredients, but it doesn't have curcumin and bromelain. So you have to get those separately. Shortly, okay. wellness company is going to offer them as a trio. Wellness company has the highest quality products out there, very affordable too. So I think a good start is the spike support, add bromelain and curcumin to it. So you're saying anybody, whether you've had COVID or the vaccine, this these products in unison are beneficial? Exactly. Okay, well, that's good to know. Thanks so much. I know that we're pressed on time here. So thanks so much for taking the time, for making the time. I know you are from interview to interview. So I appreciate all the knowledge that you've put, all the time, all the effort, all the willingness, the courage, the willingness to be criticized, sacrificed, crucified. I know you've been through it. And uh, I acknowledge you for that. We acknowledge you for that. Appreciate it. Where can people find more of you and more of all your info? I know you have a Substack as well. We'll link it all out. Right. Central source is my website, Peter McCullough, MD. That'll take you everywhere. I have the leading medical Substack. It's called Courageous Discourse leading medical podcast, America Out Loud Talk Radio, McCullough Report, comes out on Saturday and Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern, like talk radio, and then on the Apple iHeart Podcast Network in the following week. My book, Courage to Face COVID.com, five-star Amazon bestseller. And now most recently, and importantly, the McCullough Foundation, a fully 501c3 tax-deductible donations for uh, support of my efforts and my team as I fight for civil liberties. I'm involved in many cases in Canada. That's McCulloughFND.org, McCulloughFND.org. You know, thank you so much for having me on the program. I hope this is helpful to your listeners and you've been great to talk with. Thanks so much, Dr. McCullough. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. 